exciting creative voice that I have met in the last decade. I'm not sure who it would be, and that's saying something because you guys know who I hang out with, Uh, but Raymond Carr has been involved in so much cool stuff over the past few years. You're you're a busy man. (laughs) Uh, That's a hell of an intro, and yeah, uh, I am. At least I try and stay busy, otherwise, uh, you know, then the clowns might get me. Well, what I, I couldn't believe it when I saw that you were working on a movie because you always have something going on, and and I, I just it blew my mind to think like how are you going to make a movie? Well, how have you made the time to do the amount of work you've done thus far on Joyriders? You gotta want it, baby. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I I have this is a project that I've um, had in the pipeline. Uh, for a couple years now and something I've wanted to do. So I was strategic about the time in my life when I could carve out some time and actually do this uh, right. Uh, so, yeah, it's all about timing. And I feel like it's this this push has come together amazingly quickly because one minute I see you've built the interior of a spaceship, the next minute you've got the campaign running, which, by the way, before we get any further, uh, I want to point out to the listeners – that they need to go to seedandspark.com slash fun slash joywriters or just Google joywriters Seed and Spark. I mean, it's pretty easy to find stuff nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, you've, like, this push has really been fast and heavy, I feel like. Has it, did everything just kind of line up for you and you're like, now's the time to do it? Yeah, it, uh, a little bit of yes and no. I mean, the, 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 the things have lined up uh, for me several times uh throughout the past couple years and uh i i just realized that all right if it's gonna happen i gotta do it now otherwise i'm gonna have to wait till next year or longer to actually do this um and i guess i should uh give them give you all the soft pitch for the project yeah please do Um, so it is a uh a movie about uh three kids from the hood who accidentally uh, download an alien consciousness and take it, uh, an alien spaceship on a joyride through Atlanta. Um, so it's basically like uh, what I'm calling it, the, the ghetto goonies in, in space. Um, <laughs> but uh, it also has a lot of uh, – it, it's an adventure. It's, it's, it's very much in the, uh, the vein of Flight of the Navigator, Last Starfighter, like the kind of 80s, 90s um, – sci-fi adventure films that we loved um that is more grounded and uh from a different perspective so uh that's kind of where i'm at so looking at the the seed and spark page well first of all i don't know that i've heard of seed and spark before how does this uh fundraising work as opposed to other sites so Seed and Spark is really interesting. Um, it is a crowdfunding site like Indiegogo or um, Kickstarter, but it's specifically for filmmakers. So uh, it's cool because uh, you only need to reach 80% of your goal. Um, if you achieve certain milestones as far as people following you, you get access to different kind of um, uh, uh, benefits from the um, independent, independent filmmaking sponsorship programs. 
Um, and like you can get workshops done on your script. You can get potential equipment. In addition to that, people can not only donate money, but they can also donate uh, equipment, pledge uh, things through that, as well as Seed and Spark is also a distribution website, so they actually host um, short films and web series on their websites, uh, like many other um, streaming services. So it's a, it's a pretty unique experience that's specifically for filmmakers. Yeah, that's got to be a huge advantage that it's tailored to to provide, you know, it's it's narrowed it down as opposed to like you can go to this website and look for comic books or tabletop games or toys yeah. or whatever. It's it's for filmmaking. 100%. And they are so supportive. There's a series of workshops that you can take online that really help um guide you and make you uh do the hard work and and the smart work uh that goes into crowdfunding because it's always harder than you think. Sure. Um, so they try and keep uh, keep it uh, you know manageable on that level. So one of the things that really interested me in looking at the page, I see the word Afrofuturism, which is uh, you know being a fan of science fiction is a concept or, or a word rather I've seen plenty of times in in reading and just in being somebody who likes to absorb different kinds of information, but. I don't think it really clicked for me, and I hope I'm right in this, until I saw uh, Marvel's Black Panther film. Uh, yeah. Is is that a fair, or at least a fair mainstream representation of what Afrofuturism could be? I think it's uh, arguably the quintessential okay, uh, okay. expression of Afrofuturism. Uh, your listeners may, may not be able to uh, tell from my white boy accent, but I am African-American. Uh, <laughs> so growing up as a black nerd, uh, they're just, you know, this brother from another planet and yes. like the black kid from space camp. And, you know, that's about it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so when you even if you just like Google uh, Afrofuturism, there's a lot of um, really interesting literature that's been uh, published in the past couple of years. Um, but and there's also comic books as well. But uh, as far as cinema goes, there really hasn't been a whole lot. And uh, Afrofuturism is kind of a because it is a relatively new concept in cinema studies, um, at least in the mainstream uh, vein. It, it does offer a very broad spectrum, but essentially it just means that these styles of um, what we consider sci-fi and fantasy taken from, uh, instead of a European or Asian aesthetic, taken more on the lines of an uh, African aesthetic. And that, see, that's fascinating to me, because the the idea in, in watching Black Panther, to refer back to that, as, as my uh, white boy self <laughs> has <laughs> so little frame of reference, uh, just the concept of imagine if these technologies had developed, uh, you know, in Africa, as you said, without that European influence, what would it have been? And I love that kind of speculative uh, yeah. stuff. I, I just, I'm very fascinated by the concept, and I look forward to seeing more of that kind of thing. Yeah, it's also, uh, you know, and it's not even just like imagine if, you know, ray guns were made in Africa. It's more so even just the aesthetic, you know, because our even our country is like European-based aesthetic that, you know, Western society that is the dominant society uh, uh, aesthetic in pop culture 
we don't even realize how much of it is European based, you know? Yeah. Until you see something like uh, Black Panther and then you just, even just like the city skyline, you know, it looks African and you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's different. And that's what's cool about it is the fact that it is different, you know? Well, it, and it's interesting, at, you know, in, in America and, and without, without getting too deep and heavy here, uh, <laughs> but you're, there's so much that's taken for granted by white folks as well this is how things are Mm -hmm. and i'm very interested in other perspectives Mm -hmm. uh and obviously in culture and pop culture specifically a lot of things have been happening lately that have been providing a different perspective that i haven't seen because i've been catered to my whole life but that somebody like yourself is like hey look finally yeah here are these things and and (laughs) one of the one of the recent experiences i've had that have kind of brought it home i went and saw us in the theater uh during the day and there was the theater was probably about three quarters full i was the only white dude in there (laughs) and we're sitting there with the trailers playing and i am very very conscious that everybody in the commercials before the movie is white (laughs) <laughs> I'm in a theater full of people who are not, and, and, and I'm, look, I'm not an overly political guy, but I am interested in this stuff. And, and it's not political. That's not the right word for it. But yeah. sitting there, I'm like, I'm in this theater full of people who paid money to come here, watch this thing. And they're not represented in what we're watching right now at all. Like not even, not even like one dude. Yeah. Yeah. It, and and I, like this is how people live in this country every day and i don't see that well no you know and it's it's good to like pop out of your own bubble and we all live in our own bubbles and part of what this film is uh is it's it's partially you know i'm not saying it's like a racially charged or we're, we're not really it's not a movie about social justice sure, or anything sure. like but uh it does by its nature uh the fact that you are seeing a film that feels familiar and that's what we're trying to accomplish is like making this thing feel very familiar and yet feel kind of different. But in addition to that, it's also just, uh, there's a class, uh, classism that is involved in this too, because, you know, most of these movies like ET and fly the navigator, they're mostly suburban, uh, kids that, you know, have a little, maybe they're nerds or maybe their dad lost their job, but they're not necessarily, dealing with systemic poverty and, and, and all kinds of other issue. Whereas these kids, you know, they, I describe them like the kids from the wire. If you watch that series, yeah, yeah, you know, like they really don't have much of anything. And that's one of the questions that we pose in the film is it's a lot of fun. They're having a lot of fun playing around, discovering their powers, taking the ship on a joyride, And then they have a moment of clarity where they teleport to their um, basically above the earth looking down and they basically ask themselves, okay, well, what if we don't go back? You know, wh- what do we got to live for down there? Like, what has society done for us? And so they kind of have this little bit of an existential cr- uh, conversation within each other. Um, and at the end of the film, uh, they end up crash landing back on earth and the government and the power that be have them you know, and holding, and they suddenly realize that these kids from the hood are the only connection and key to the most important discovery in human existence. So now they actually have to listen to them. They have to pay attention. They have to, like, make them important. And that's a lot of very relatable themes, and I think that's 
you know, one of the most important things that pop culture can do anytime is through relatable stories and themes and mythology deliver important messages. And there's always a balance between what is our social responsibility and what is our responsibility to entertain. Absolutely. And when that balance is struck, I love that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's Shakespeare, man. That's like, that's where the meat of it is. Like you can be funny and you can do all this stuff, but at the end of the day, if you get a chance to reach a bunch of people, you might as well say something as well as entertain, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And there's such a, there's such a hunger for that. That's what you talk about, like, Jordan Peele and uh, the Ryan Kuglers and even, like, Donald Glover and all that stuff. They're very entertaining artists and very talented artists, but at the end of the day, people are responding to what they're saying and not even answering questions, but posing questions and all these sorts of things. So uh, I think that's really exciting, too. Yeah, sparking conversation is and, well, and that's some of the fun of of especially uh, Jordan Peele and Donald Glover is so much of what they do. They put it out there, and it it does it, it it's not completely contained. Like it does yeah. leave you with questions. It does leave you wanting to talk about it, and that's a key component as well. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, that's fan interaction. Like, that's what we do right now as far as content creators. Like, you're constantly like, what do you guys think? Tell, leave us a comment, all this kind of stuff. It's all about starting conversations and uh, also never go to the comment uh, section. <laughs> you just, just don't. But, uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, like, you know, these conversations are happening. And hopefully, you know, people are having constructive conversations and, and um, in addition to being entertained and everything, too. So let's uh, talk about Joyriders itself, though. Where did this concept come from? Like, is this, you, you said this has been kind of with you for a while now. What was, uh, obviously, these classic movies of the 80s that we did grow up with, but when did this concept really start sort of coming together for you as an idea that you could make one day? You know, I... Uh... Uh, so I have a background in um, puppeteering. I'm a Jim Henson trained in uh, performing puppeteer and uh, a f- independent filmmaker as well. Um, and so I've come up in like working with a lot of awesome artists and have done several films myself. As I've had, I've won awarded won awards at Dragon Con um, for my films as well. Um, so I mean, there's a couple of you know, it's funny. I have this idea. I've had this idea for a while, so it's hard to like really pinpoint it. Um, but a couple of major influences was uh, obviously Attack the Block was amazing. Uh, if your fans are familiar with that uh, movie, yes, absolutely. Uh, and then also, <laughs> I heard this story about Goonies where. Uh, Steven Spielberg was a producer of it, and the directors, uh, they built the pirate ship, uh, One-Eyed Willie's pirate ship. They didn't show the kids until they were rolling, until the the moment where they were supposed to reveal uh, the pirate ship in the film. And the story goes that they couldn't use any of the footage of the kids' reactions because they just swore the entire time. <laughs> they were just like, holy shit, what the fuck? And so they just blew it out of the scene. Uh, and so it just made me realize, it's like, you know, we see all these films with, like, these kids who are pretty good. Like, what if these kids were just 
not necessarily the ones that you would that would react that way when they see an alien spaceship that would like just cuss up a storm and just be like not react the way that you would expect them to act, kids to act. You well, know? they they don't react like kids in a movie, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, so that was the exciting part of of it. And then there's been a couple of it, once I had the initial germ of the idea. It was just a, a series of, like, everything I was looking at was inspiring me. And, and was like, oh, what if those kids were there? What if what if uh, that uh, type of character was in it? You know, what would they do in this situation? And then at the end of the day, it, it kind of starts to write itself once you have these very real characters existing uh, in this world and their reactions to everything. So you've got... Part of the process of creating any kind of original property, I would, I would imagine, are figuring out the tone, uh, how the world works. Because in every movie, every movie franchise, whatever it is, the the worlds operate a little bit differently. The humor is different. The physics are different. You establish your own sort of palette of of the reality of that world you're building. Is that something that you've been very conscious of or has it just kind of worked itself out as you've gone along? You know, it's twofold, partially because I am a, 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 a artist and I can build things. I, I wrote this with everything in my power to build. So if you go on the Seed and Spark uh, website, you'll see that I shot the, the promotional video for it in a spaceship that I built myself. And so it has this very organic, uh, dark texture um, for it, and so I knew that I wanted to uh, make this alien spaceship un- very unique, and it kind of has a bit of a Geiger feel, but a little uh, messy and a little more uh, amorphous on that level. Um, but uh, so I was like, okay, if I can figure out how to build a spaceship, then I can write the spaceship that I want. And then there was a thing about, okay, the ship is jumping; it teleports in and out of space, basically hyper jumping. Uh, because it's damaged and the kids are trying to figure out how to do it. So uh, I'm going to make that the way that it flies so that when I do my plate shots, I can basically shoot all around Atlanta with drone footage and helicopter footage and just whatever, and then have the ship just appear in whatever footage I can get, you know? Um, In addition to that, like, they all have a psychic link to each other once they download this alien consciousness, and so they're able to expound upon exposition and, like, basically have little nuggets of information that is parsed into um, the conversation throughout. Um, so just to make the the whole thing a little more tighter, more compact, so they don't have to like go on these long expositional dialogue things. They just read each other's mind and get flashes of images that tells the story. So um, partial, part of that is just the practicality, getting the story out there, what I could do and how I can do it uh, with my team. And then there is the tone, like you say, and the tone has a lot to do with the characters. Um, I, my initial run um, was, you know, way more rated R just than the fact that they I had them talking very realistically with a lot of expletives and uh, things of that nature. And then I was like, okay, let me pull it back just a little bit <laughs> so that uh, some people might actually watch this. Uh, <laughs> so uh, finding that tone was a balance as well. Um, and at the same time, uh, it starts off with a lot of fun, but then because they have this psychic link, they start to get glimpses of what their, the audience gets a glimpse of what their homes' li- lives are like, 
Um, and so that uh, then shifts the tonal tone a little bit more. So we get this more serious uh, uh, concept of like what it really means to be a kid that lives like this, you know? Um, so it's really, and then it's this adventure tone as well, because at the end of the day, this whole thing is about having fun. It's about wish fulfillment. It's about uh, having a blast. Because no matter how messed up these kids' lives are, we want the audience to feel like they would love to be these kids um, and have this opportunity. And so finding that balance of just you know unabashed fun in the midst of all of this was really important. Well, and that's the magic of all those like Amblin movies that we were talking about is when you see those as a kid – that's what you're thinking about is like, man, I want this to happen to me. And what would I be doing here? And what, what a, what a fantastic situation. I just, and, and you'd, after you saw the Goonies or, or whatever it may be, you would sit for weeks just thinking, man, ah, I wish I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, what's great about these films because like those films and these situations and, and Goonies and like, you forget about all the really messed up stuff that, that happened. In the right, film. right. Like, Flight of the Navigator, the kid was in a coma for, like, a while, and, like, his parents got older, and he's, like, all this trauma is happening to him, and, like, uh, Goonies, they're, like, constantly almost dying and all this crap. So, like, and so, in reality, you don't actually want to go through that. Uh, but that's the magic of cinema, is that you do find yourself imagining yourself doing that well and it's funny how much we do sort of highlight the adventure and the the magic of those movies because going back and i've got a 11 year old son and going back and watching a lot of those movies with him i've been just like oh my gosh i forgot how messed up this is (laughs) (laughs) well in goonies in particular how much they curse yeah yeah. realize like (laughs) just every third word of that script is shit it's amazing. <laughs> and then with the uh, the whole bit at the beginning with the uh, the statue of David, totally oh, forgot uh, about that. <laughs> Try watching that with your kids sometime, listeners. That's a lot of fun. That's hilarious. <laughs> but uh, so with Joyriders, everything, I, I'm particularly excited about the idea of everything being done uh, in as much practical yeah. effects as possible obviously that's your background but to to see that and to know because th- that's again the most magical stuff for me is when you see a physical thing with a presence inhabiting the screen with the actors and look cgi has come a long way uh yeah. no no spoilers but i just saw in game and there was not one second of that movie where i thought to myself well this was made with a computer yeah but it still doesn't have that same uh, cohesive look that practical effects have. Uh, yeah, and there's, you know, we can wax philosophically about why that is. Partially is because to do it right, uh, uh, CG rather, you do have to have Marvel uh, level budgets, you right. know. It's it's I mean, Sci Fi Channel proves it time and time again how <laughs> do it wrong. Well and um, even Marvel from time to time doesn't quite yeah, nail it. Yeah, yeah. And and even like it's so funny how hear hear people talk about CG and they'll talk about, you know, uh Spider Man or Avengers or something like that and be like, Oh, that CG looks so bad and it was like it didn't not look bad. It just wasn't right, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll yeah. spend millions and millions of dollars to do that thing. It just 
didn't quite look right. So uh, the exciting thing about this project is the fact that we are doing so much of it uh, practically, as you said. So the spaceship is a model that we're having built, um, and uh, we're shooting with, with a motion control camera um, that is being uh, donated to us. And, um, you know, we're, we want to be able to uh, get the things right because uh, it just makes that thing feel really uh alive and if you don't have a a solid cg budget it's very easy to screw that up in addition to that all of the interactive elements of the ship they're not just uh touching touch screens to make it fly or like you know hud uh floating screens to make it go everything that they're doing is very analog very textile like i wanted to basically if you remember pilot from farscape um, you know, he had a bunch of uh, arms to basically fly around the ship. He had, he was a, basically an octopus that was constantly moving and pulling levers and all that kind of stuff. So imagine that if it was just three kids that had to be in charge of pulling all those levers and and doodads and knobs and buttons and stuff just to make it go. So there's going to be everything that they do just to to make the ship fly is going to be very physical and complicated, you know, and it's all organic too. So they're like reaching into the side of the ship, pulling out this weird black tentacle thing and like yanking on it while this other gooey lever comes from the ceiling and they got a twirl and it's basically a giant game of bop it. Um, So that's one of the other practical fun things we're doing. Well, and see, that's all very like kinetic. That's that's on screen business. That's fun to watch. Absolutely. Absolutely. and the other advantage of practical is w- when you're dealing with practical, you know what you're getting. Um, there's no getting to post and realizing, well, we can't quite make that look how we wanted it to look, so that's just how it's going to have to be. Like, it's right. done. It's there. They're in person dealing with the object. Absolutely. Yeah. So what else can you tell us about Joyriders? What, as far as cast goes, what do you, do you have ideas? I mean, we've got a preview uh, video here, but I wasn't sure if anybody involved with that, if this was just kind of a teaser deal or what's happening there. Yeah, that's just a teaser. Uh, right now, we're going to be uh, casting a pretty wide net. We're already working with uh, some of the, the largest talent agencies um, in Atlanta right now, um, talking to them as far as casting. In addition to that, we are casting our net pretty wide, uh, working with some talent um, talent directors, uh, casting directors, rather. Um, so we're uh, once we're up and running, we'll be um, going nationally for the uh, for our kids. Um, we do have our the one uh, Agent Scully style character uh, is being played by Claire Bronson, who's a uh, Atlanta based uh, talent that has been in everything. Um, she's she's been in um, the more recent. Uh, uh, Rocky movies, and she's been in um, uh, several other awesome, awesome projects. So she's a, she's an incredible talent uh, right now, and I'm very happy to be working with her. Um, so when we are up and running, we're um, gonna be looking far and wide um, to find that those those special three kids. <laughs> are there any other kind of uh, specific things that you want to share about Joyriders or about just put putting everything together and how this creation process has gone for you? Yeah, one of the fun things that uh, for those of you who um, end up following us on social media, you'll see that we're doing a lot of fan art 
So um, we're basically making a bunch of posters uh, based on 80s, 90s sci-fi and all other um, fantasy and other kinds of uh, movie posters that you like that basically recast it. Imagine if these characters were black. So uh, some of them are pretty funny. We did um, Back to the Future and The Labyrinth. Instead of David Bowie, we had Tina Turner and Janelle Milnay on the cover, uh, which Tina Turner and David Bowie's hair from The Labyrinth, pretty similar. <laughs> that it, does line up, doesn't it? <laughs> it didn't take much much effort. Uh, so there's like a Jurassic Park poster. There's a Jaws poster. There's a lot of um, great artwork um, and we're actually having an art show at uh, Carroll Street Cafe in Cabbage Town, um, which is uh, a, a great place to hang out. Um, and they are going to have our Joywriters art hanging for the month of May um, all on their walls. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So we had a couple of um, other artists doing just concept art, fan art, like all kinds of random beautiful art. Um, if you're familiar with Hannah Fearman um, from the VHS series and a bunch of other awesome horror stuff she's doing a, a piece as well she's also an amazing artist um and uh it's going to be hanging up uh on the walls of carroll street cafe for the month of may um and then the seed and spark uh thing once that's good to go people that are able to donate we're going to have times for the people that have donated to come to set to see the amazing aliens that we're making um, and, uh, you know, participate in the process. So definitely check it out. Yeah. You've got a lot of good stuff on here. Everything from the standard issue, social media, shout out up through posters for the movie, the soundtrack for the movie. Uh, I, the, to me, the screening and after party is very cool because to see something, to have the opportunity to see something like this, uh, on a big screen, you know, it, you don't always get something like that. To be able to donate and support this project and then go and actually see it somewhere uh, as opposed to just getting your digital copy or whatever, that's yeah. very cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then all the way up to associate and executive producer credits, which, you know, obviously that's – you're immortalized as part of the process. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I'm not uh, precious with this process at all, so I am definitely interested in – anyone and any everyone's um thoughts about the process and like i'm I'm not i'm just not precious on it you don't need to sign an nda from me and all that stuff i'll give it i'll give away the farm you know because uh i'm passionate about this project and uh we just trying to build up hype yeah i love that you there you're not secretive you're you're like this is so good i'm just going to tell you what the story is <laughs> because that's going to get you excited to see it which yeah. is exactly what happened you know, especially with the so this is a proof of concept uh, series. So we have uh, we're once we finish this short version, it's basically the first act of um, a feature or the first episode of a series. So we have um, uh, a series version of it and a feature version of it that, and we have uh, connections in various places that we're going to be uh, sell, trying to sell it. Um, so once we go and finish, have a, a, a product, you know, we'll be able to go into our next steps. But, you know, a lot of times people don't necessarily, like you say, got to see, get to see the film, especially if you're not local, you can't attend the screening or whatever. So I, I'm all about telling the story as it is, you know, and if somebody else wants to get inspired and do something similar, go have at it. Cause you know, nobody owns the, nobody owns Afrofuturism. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you bring up an interesting point there. You know, in this day and age, 
I, I would think there's probably not much that's pitched that's specifically intended, or at least not many original ideas that are specifically intended for feature or for series. Like, I feel like you've probably got to be adaptable now because you you don't know what your eventual outlet's going to be. Yeah, I mean, there, there, yes, yes, you have to definitely have, like, a lot of different um, irons in the skillet, in the iron in the fire, what, however the hell you say that. Uh, <laughs> you got to have a lot going on. Um, and, you know, there's a version of this story that is, you can't just make a movie, turn it into a series. You kind of have to, like, modify to sure, make sure one work a little bit better in that. Uh, but if you have a good IP or you have a concept and you do feel like it can go in either direction, it's worth uh, going down the the, the avenue um, to try and feel it out to see which way it goes, especially if you have multiple contacts in, in those different worlds, you know, TV and film. Well, I, th- I think there's all kinds of awesome potential for this core concept here, and I'm, I'm excited to see what you do with it. Uh, Raymond, before we go... Where can we find you online? Uh, give give us the sites, give us the details, Facebook, whatever. Although, as as I mentioned before, Googling is very easy, people. Yes. <laughs> Googling is easy. Um, you can check us out at, um, as you said, uh, seedandspark.com slash fun slash joywriters. Um, you can also, on Facebook, it's just, just uh, Joywriters Movie. Um, on Instagram, I'm the ninja puppet. Um, and... And also um, joywritermovie.com. You know, I I strongly recommend if anybody's interested in this, go do the Facebook thing because that's where I'm posting a lot of this fan art stuff. Um, And it's just a lot of fun. Well, and the Facebook is the easy central one because that's the links to everything else important that's going on with it. Exactly. Awesome. Raymond Carr, thank you so much for coming on talking about Joywriters. And uh, I look forward to a full-length Raymond Carr interview at some point in the near future. Anytime, my friend. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.